0: Rachel Woodall here, and I am back with Artistic License. It has been... Over a year since my last episode. And let me just say how excited I am to be back. The whole point of this podcast was and will always be to expand the definition of art and, you know, talk about things that people generally consider art, but then also, you know, broaden it a little bit. I think everyone has an art in their life that they're passionate about and it could be survival or coffee or music or painting or podcasting. And in this week's case, magic. So sit back and relax and enjoy The Art of Magic with Joe Diamond. Joe Diamond is the mystery performer everyone's talking about. Some call him a mind reader. Others call him psychic, and still more call him a magician. For the purposes of this podcast, we're going to call him a magician. Just kind of keep it cohesive. (laughs) I met Joe a little over a year ago when he blew my mind with a couple of tricks at an event. He guessed the name of the first boy I kissed... He unlocked my cell phone, and he taught me a little gag that made it look like I stuck my finger straight through my ear. It's honestly kind of gross, but if you have sons or nephews, little kids, look it up on YouTube. It's like a step above I got your nose. Let's take a quick step back so I can mention that I grew up loving magic. I remember being in elementary school, checking out books on Houdini and the other greats. There was this one book called The Great Misto that I checked out so many times, my name filled the entire checked out card. For youngins listening, it was a whole thing. We didn't always rely on computers, these little cards in front of library books, making me feel old. I got a magic kit one Christmas that came with a portable stage, and I have fond memories of forcing my family to watch me perform. Sometimes we lose track of all the arts we're involved in as a child. I, for instance, kind of lost track of magic, but after I turned 21, I made a few trips to Vegas, and every single time, I saw a magic show. I've seen Penn & Teller, David Copperfield brought me on stage and made a car appear in front of my face. Although I was about 10 years older than my great Misto days, I found the exact same joy in watching these men perform. And that is what I felt when Joe Diamond told everyone on the radio the name of the first boy I kissed without ever having met me or knowing anything about my past. It's like, I know it's not magic, but that almost makes it more impressive. Magic, most definitely, is an art. I sat down with Joe in his studio in Crystal Lake, Illinois, to talk all about it. Joe's studio is in the historic Dole Mansion, just across from the lake in Crystal Lake. It's a funky room with 13 chairs in a circle around the edges, a giant painting of a tree covering one wall, posters of great magicians, and all of the sort of trinkets you'd expect a man interested in this art to have. Crystal ball, creepy dolls, books of all shapes and sizes. He does his show out of his studio, where every show he entertains 13 lucky people.
1: I want to know how you got sparked to be a magician. I, I love that you sparked. Everyone's like, how'd you get started? Or no, like, this is your full-time saying, job. Like, I love it sparked. How did
0: you decide you wanted to
1: do this? I don't feel like I chose magic. I feel magic chose me. How? I went through 12 years of Christian school, and preachers and pastors and ministers always talked about being called to the ministry. Mm-hmm. And I really feel like I was called like it was a variety of you can say coincidences or chain of events or luck or whatever okay uh, between I started interpreting dreams as a young kid uh, we read the story of Joseph in the book of Genesis Mm-hmm. and I started telling having people tell me their dreams and i would tried to interpret them and from that I got interested in books about like bizarre phenomenon uh Signs of Things to Come, Ghosts and Poltergeists, Mysteries the Unexplained, all those I grabbed at the like Henry Library here in town, oh, cool. um, read a lot of those, or all those books have big words in them, so by mm-hmm. the time I got to second grade, I had a 12th grade reading level. It, it sounds impressive, but I still so, have a 12th grade reading level. I, <laughs> I peaked early. But uh, yeah, so I read that and read books on magic, um, I got a magic set for Christmas, and at that time, there was what's been called in the industry the 90s boom of magic like there yes. were like mm-hmm. every year for five years on Thanksgiving the highest rated special NBC had for all those five years mm-hmm. consecutive years in a row was the world's greatest magic One, two, three, four, and five. Yeah. And every year, we'd watch it as a family, and we taped it, and then like two months later, there would be a Lance Burton special.
0: I remember the 90s boom. In fact, I remember a very particular instance. I was watching David Blaine on TV. He asked the audience to pick a card, and he told me which one I had picked. It was spooky. It was unexplainable, especially to an elementary schooler. And it made me so happy. The mystery brought me joy.
1: How cool is everyone knows a joke? Mm-hmm. Even the little a little five-year-old kid has a simple knock-knock joke. Yes. And there's a lot of common jokes. But for the most part, mm-hmm. like I have friends who are professional comedians, one of my favorite things is to sit down and tell jokes with people. Right. Um, some of us have a wider repertoire than others. But for <laughs> the most part, I mean, you can tell me, if I asked you to tell me a joke, it might be a little bit on the spot, but if you had a few minutes, you could remember think. one and put it together. Mm-hmm. And if you told it with regularity, that would become your joke and you would have your own little takes and twists and turns on it such Mm -hmm. and how awesome is that we all we all have that i would love for that to be the case with magic if everyone has one magic trick to learn Mm -hmm. to, to show to people that was actually good not just like you know a little kid or, the like, thumb off.
0: what like, did well, you taught me? That, that's that's good. You though. taught me how to I'll, I'll, make it we'll look go, like yeah, my fingers through
1: my ear. You're, you're you're doing you gotta go over it. We'll there, go there, over there. it. Yeah, we'll go over okay. it. Okay, but yeah, <laughs> but I mean, and that's that's on my that's on my website and on YouTube as well. And that's okay. a fun that's that kind of blends magic trick, optical illusion, and prank. Um, yeah, but right. <laughs> but it looks it looks better than pulling a thumb off or like I got your nose to like a tiny, my uncle still has mine. Um, so. I stole that from The Simpsons. I'll admit that. I stole that joke from The Simpsons. But yeah, like, I love, like, it's a cliche thing in Magic. If if someone wants to show us a card trick, mm-hmm. they say, okay, I'm going to deal a deck of cards into three rows of mm-hmm. seven. Think of a card. Point to the row it's in. We'll put that row up in the middle. Yeah. We'll do this three or four times, uh-huh. and then I'll count down a number, and your card will be there. We, we've all seen it. Yes. Magicians especially have all seen it. And... I, I, what's fascinating about that actually has roots in the 1500s in a book of saints that was designed to be a mind reading magic trick so even it actually predates playing cards that principle which is awesome it's literally the oldest trick in the book um so i kind of i kind of love i have it actually um you have the book yeah yeah here okay i don't know how much this will go through uh the radio waves, but... um we can maybe take a picture yeah, or something. Yeah, you can take a picture. Oh, and that's so And cool. uh, so, yeah, there's about 100 saints on each page. Uh, uh, a devotion, Del Signore, or... The blessing. audio
0: doesn't so. do the trick justice. The too-long-don't-read version is, I picked a saint out of a list of probably 50. He flipped the pages a few times, asking me what quadrant my saint was in, and he was able to tell me who I was thinking of. I thought it was cool, definitely a fun trick. Then I thought about how amazing it must have seemed back in the 1500s to anyone who experienced it. It must have seemed like divine intervention or magic.
1: That was cool! Literally the oldest trick in the book right there. Wow! I love that like seven-year-old kids are doing something that has roots in a Religious Artifact That is secretly gimmicked For a magic trick Big surprise It has to do with math (laughs) Which at the time Was a magical thing And they didn't quite Fully understand Okay I know how that works But it's still fascinating to me The fact that someone Sat down and figured out How Mm -hmm. to make that work yeah. Um, is is still it just opens you up to more questions <laughs> like
0: that is amazing to think about like because they you know they had to draw all that by hand and they didn't have
1: a computer to figure it out to to run the algorithms and everything and, and they had to figure just, it all out themselves someone just had this idea like someone saw the matrix <laughs> yeah 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 exactly well, okay exactly. so so Thank again you. so this is so this is a this is a good example and like it hasn't. It hasn't it's been around for over 500 years. It hasn't stopped, you know, little kids from learning it and being fascinated by it. Mm-hmm. Um as good as it is, I wish that it wasn't the same trick. I wish everyone had their own different ways of doing it.
0: Like music, movies or books. Magic too has genres. Joe was dropping them throughout our conversation, so I tried to get a list of the main genres we can expect these days in magic.
1: So an illusionist, as I said before, is someone like who you'd call David Copperfield or a Las Vegas magician. Okay. They have the lights, the music, the boxes, the, the girls, big. the big the big stage illusions is okay. what that's called. Then there's mentalism, which is mind reading, telepathy, predicting the future. And there's genres of that. There's the more psychic approach and then there's the more psychological approach, which would be Colin Cloud and the illusionists. And and then there's bizarre magic, which is more ghost stories, spooky stories, more focused on storytelling symbolism... Uh, occult themes. So I would be in the bizarre mentalism category or genre of magic for for that. So a little scary, Uh, but also a little little scary. Spooky. Spooky. I I, I say my shows are spooky. They're not scary. I don't have... I have precisely one... In all my shows I have precisely one jump scare in my entire work. Then in close-up magic. Close-up magic is broken into like card magic, coins. Right, right. Uh, Close-up sleight-of-hand magic. But I mean, you can still do like mentalism close-up. So there's Mm -hmm. a lot of like interconnect Connections. What would be considered parlor or stand-up magic, that's something you could see at, like, the Chicago Magic Lounge down in the city. Uh, it's about a 150-seat theater, so everyone's—it's mm-hmm. not a super huge theater, um, like you would see an illusionist with, but, like, people right. come out and do more—they can do sleight of hand on that stage or more, like, storytelling, personality-based magic. Would
0: that be, like— um, I don't want to stereotype magicians, but would that be more of the, like, magician, rabbit out of the hat? Like, what would you call that?
1: That would be be stand-up. Well, the reason the rabbit out of the hat became so popular. The rabbit in the hat. It's
0: like the core trick people think of when they think magician. A little kid draws a magician. He's probably wearing a top hat and holding a rabbit, right?
1: I'll I'll blow your mind with two more things here. The rabbit out of the hat is popular because it was never out of the magician's hat. Top hats were a common piece of clothing that men wore to the theater. Wait, so they Magici- pulled the rabbit out of someone else's hat? The magicians would go out, borrow a hat, maybe use their own and have it examined, and then produce the rabbit out of that. I love how everyone talks about it. and No one's seen it because men I haven't, haven't worn it. top hats in 100 years. Right. But it's still, it's still the cliche image. which is. But the whole reason that was a thing was because it was with a borrowed item. Here's the other thing, blowing my mind. the next thing everyone talks about after rabbit out a hat, sawing a woman in half.
0: We've all seen that too. The woman gets sawed in half and magically pieced back together. I'll admit I've seen it several times, thought about it for years, and I'm not 100% sure how it's done. Every time I think I know, someone throws another spin onto the classic trick, but I digress.
1: How long do you think it's been around?
0: Just and, and answer honestly. Longer than I'm going to s- 200 years.
1: Less than 100 years really it debuted in the 1920s pt Selbit did sawing through a woman they tied down a woman in a box and he sawed through the box and when they opened it up she was fine mm-hmm. rachel what was going on in the 1920s with women women's suffrage mm-hmm. okay now here comes the magician you know women want to break free he's tying down a woman cutting her through and yet she stands up and she's okay
0: oh my god that magic trick needs to make a comeback Right
1: during the right. CD and movie. now and now, but that's right. the thing. Like nowadays, and nothing against the style, but like nowadays, you right. see people, you know, with laser lights and you know, bouncing music and all this other stuff, and the girl's yeah. smiling the whole time. They they used to do it with and buzz saw.
0: Well, man. after
1: a while, magicians stopped doing the boxes, and they would put the girl, and they would buzz saw through her. I, I completely skipped over one other thing. The rabbit hat became popular because there was an, uh, a story that was spreading about this woman named Mary Toft who claimed to have given birth to a rabbit.
0: I, w- I wish I
1: could put into so, words what look just came over. Yeah, my I face. know, right? Right. So I think it was like, but Yikes. shortly after, that, I believe it was John John Northern Hillard, I think, who uh, who originally did it. But think about it. We have what are the symbols of that? Reaching oh. into the darkness, creating life. You tie someone down and kill them, and they are resurrected. Interesting. So we have life and the two biggest, most cheesy symbols of magic. Rabbit out of a hat, sawing woman in half, and we have when we're with those symbols alone, we're talking about life, death, and, and rebirth and everything in between.
0: Joe invited me to the premiere of his brand new show, Mystic. In it, he showcases several different legends in the world of magic, but I'll let him tell you about that. Tell me about the new show that you're developing because you are coming up with something new. Yes.
1: Well, I've, I, I, it, it, I'm always coming up with it. It's always, it's always, it's, a, it's growth. I mean, like most art, it's evolving. It's always growing. I mean, I've been doing the 13th Hour for nearly two years, and I just made another change to it last week. Um, it, it was very subtle. It was very small. But there have, been, there have been big changes. There have been little changes. But it's always growing. It's, it's not, you know, performance art is not in a vacuum. Mm-hmm. The new show is called Mystic. Okay. And the theme for this show, uh, which I'm really excited about, is uh, I'm going to be recreating skills uh, and abilities and acts of mystics of years past. Okay. So I'm going to talk about Howard Thurston, who's on the, on the wall over there. Mm-hmm. He would uh, have people in the balconies name out their, uh, their seat numbers, and he would take a playing card and sail it into their lap. But wow, oh. now it'd be pretty easy to do in here because you're like oh, right. three feet yeah. away from me. <laughs> But I'm going to try to do something just as difficult on a smaller scale. Okay. Uh, I'm going to talk about um, Alexander, a uh, crystal seer on the poster behind you. He would look into a crystal ball and says, Seize your life from the cradle to the grave. So I'll be having people mm-hmm. think of people, and I'll look into that crystal ball over there and tell them about what they're thinking about. Okay. Uh, I'm going to be recreating the skill of a gentleman by the name of Edgar Casey, who is you known as the Sleeping Prophet. People are going to be encouraged to bring books. Mm-hmm. Casey claimed he could put a book under his pillow, and what woke up in the morning he could tell you details about the book, like how many times the word the appear or, or uh how many typos there were okay. uh so I'm gonna be having people bring their books uh books i've never seen before, and uh, I'll be uh trying to uh It'll be really fun They'll hold it between their hands I don't want to spoil too much But mm-hmm. I'm going to hold my head up to the books And try to absorb information about the book Even though I've never seen it before uh, The um, We're going to talk about uh, Pixie Coleman Smith Which speaking of women and everything else Forget about the Dosecki's guy. Forget about the most interesting man in the world. She is the most interesting human who has ever lived. The final piece uh, will be awakening the magician and the mystic in everyone in the room. The impossible is going to happen in every single person's hands in the end of the show. Uh, and okay. so, the, so the final mystic isn't going right. to be me. It isn't going to be someone from the past. It's the people here. The magician can be anyone. It can be all of us. The Magician is about taking control over the world around us. Mm-hmm. And deep down, that's all what we all wish. We all wish we had more control over our lives, which means deep down we all wish we could be a magician. And so the final uh, piece in Mystic will be a, a ritual to turn everyone uh, into a mystic and create the impossible themselves.
0: Okay. The show was amazing. The intimate setting allowed for everyone to feel up close, personal, and involved in each and every trick. Plus, if you haven't gathered by now, our boy is a great speaker and entertainer. Every person left the Dole Mansion that night with a big smile on their faces and a little bit of a shake of the head as we tried to figure out how, in the end, we had all done magic together.
1: Mystery is important. I mean, that's what it's ultimately about. It's not tricks. It's not fooling. It's about, it's about being, mis- it's about a mystery. Right. Um, one of my teachers, uh, Eugene Berger, who, again, look him up online if you want to see dozens of examples of magic being art. Um, he's one of them. Uh, but he said something really profound that has stuck with me ever since uh, he first told to me when I was about 16, 17, when I started studying with him. He said, problems are meant to be solved, mysteries are meant to be experienced. If we woke up tomorrow and every problem on the planet were solved, mm-hmm. we'd breathe all the air, drink all the water, everyone was saying please and thank you, all of it solved, <laughs> there would still be a huge amount of mystery.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Why is there something and not nothing? It's a profound mystery and magic reminds us of that mystery. And I think that's I think that's really powerful and I think he's right. I think he's right too.
0: For more information on Joe or to find tickets to his performances, visit JoeDiamondLive.com. Again, I am Rachel Woodall. Thank you so much for listening. I can't wait to talk to you again super soon. This has been Artistic License.